Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. God is like eating a meal. How many of you have ever had a really good steak? How many of you never want another one because you've already enjoyed that? You know, in God's word, it really, it tells us that it is food for our spirit. It's in the second Peter, I think it's second Peter is chapter two, where it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And when we hear the word, we grow spiritually. We wanted to start in Isaiah chapter seven. It says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Years before that, probably about 300 years before that, Solomon said, if you faint in the day of adversity, how small is your faith? If you faint in the day of adversity, how small is your faith? It's really, he's saying the same thing as the prophet Isaiah. If you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. Uh, faith doesn't just work on Sundays and Wednesdays. Faith is for living and faith is what we need when we come into rough times. Right? Now in Hebrews chapter six, um, verse 13, I want to read to you a little bit, but really what faith has to do with believing God has to do with this, that we believe that God is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do, that he will do what he says he will do. And really, your faith really doesn't even function unless you understand that God loves you. So many people believe that God has something for somebody else. Right? But faith believes that it's for you. Not just for somebody else, but for you. So Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... I should say the, the promise to Abraham is the promise to us because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. So God made a promise and he can't lie. And then he swore that he would do what he said he would do. Now I want to remind you that in Psalms 138 and verse two, it says that God has magnified his word above all his name. In other words, God is saying, if I do not keep my word, I am not God. If I don't keep my word, I am not God. Now, in Jeremiah 1 and 12, he says, For you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. God is keeping watch. He knows what he's promised. He knows what he's said. 
And he has made an oath and it's impossible for him to lie. He said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. Again, faith is believing God is who he says he is. That he's done what he said he has done. That he will do today for you what he has promised to do. And that he loves you. And let me remind you in John 17, Jesus is praying. He said that the world may know that you sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus is praying and saying, I want people to know that you love them just as much as you love me. Think about that. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. How many believe that God practices what he preaches? He says to love your neighbor as yourself. And God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, God had made promises to the children of Israel. He said, I'm going to give you the promised land, the entire land of Canaan. And he had told them, I've given it to you. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 again. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the word will not profit you unless it's mixed with faith. But the word is true. God's watching over it to perform it. He can't lie, and he is sworn by himself. So God tells the children of Israel, I'm giving you this land. It's yours. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to help you in every battle. I'm going to actually send bees before you, and they're going to chase the the enemy out of the land. But they get to the edge of the promised land. They're in a place called Kadesh Barnea. And Moses sends in 12 spies and says, I want you to pass through the land. And I want you to notice, are the cities large? Are they small? Are they fortified? How are the inhabitants? Are they weak? Are they strong? What's the land like? You know, is it, is it hilly? Are there rivers? Um, is it good for agriculture? Is it good for animals? Come back and tell us everything about the land. So they told him when they came back and they said, we went into the land where you sent us and truly it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. And they had cut down a bunch of grapes and it was so big, they had to carry it on a pole between two men. These grapes must've been like the size of a muskmelon, you know, just take a knife, cut it open, throw the pit out and eat, you know, you got a meal. Saying, here's its fruit. Nevertheless, now this was the part that Moses didn't tell them. He didn't tell them, decide whether we can go in because God's already told us we can. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the site, to the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea. And along the banks of the Jordan, then Caleb quieted the people. 
before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Now notice that the Bible says they gave a bad report. They said, we cannot go in. We are not strong enough. And God called that a bad report because God had said, I've given it to you. It belongs to you. You can go in. And when they disagreed with God, God referred to that as a bad report. Saying the land through which we have gone is spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. We saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That's their bad report. So all the congregation lifted up their voices. They cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Now, isn't it interesting that it's easier to believe a bad report than a good report? Two spies gave a good report. Ten spies gave a bad report. But the Bible says the whole congregation believed the bad report. And they said, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should become victims. Would not it be better for us to return to Egypt? And it's the book of Nehemiah that actually says they selected a leader and planned to go back to Egypt. But God said in verse 28, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me will fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore that you would dwell in it. Now, Joshua and Caleb said we are well able to go up and take possession. Ten spies said we cannot go in. They're stronger. The whole congregation believed the ten spies. And they all said it would be better for us to die in the wilderness. And God said, as you have spoken in my ear, so I will do unto you. Everybody who said we can't go in died in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb said we can go in. And both Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. It's interesting that everybody got exactly what they said, isn't it? Two million people. Everybody who said, we cannot go in, did not go in. The two who said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. They went in. God said, if you've spoken in my ear, so I will do unto you. How many of you think God's listening to what we say? I believe he is. Second Corinthians 4.13. Since we have... The same spirit of faith. Since we have the same spirit of faith. Faith is not a formula. Faith is a spirit. Since we have the same, literally the identical spirit of faith, according to what is written. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. 
I want you to think about David. He's going to attack that giant. And David said to the giant, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defiled. And today I will kill you and take your head off from you. He believed, therefore he spoke. He said, we also believe, therefore we speak. The most precious thing that you can possess is not some piece of jewelry, but the most precious thing you can possess is the spirit of faith. Smith Wigglesworth said this, never look back if you want the power of God in your life. That spirit of faith has two components. First, there's believing and then there's speaking. It said that we have that same spirit of faith. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we, we speak. David had the spirit of faith when he was about 15 years old. Moses had the spirit of faith when he was 80. Joshua and Caleb had the spirit of faith when they were about 40 years old. There's a believing part and there is a speaking part. I heard about a guy who had his family over. They're watching a football game Sunday afternoon. And they just had a big dinner, you know, and then they're watching the game and he's kind of tired. He goes in the bedroom, closes the door, falls asleep, taking a nap. And, you know, some of the family members, as a joke, they, they opened the door and they went in and they put Limburger cheese on his mustache. You know? And after just a little bit, you know, he wakes up. He thought, stinks in here. You know? So he went out in the living room. Shoot, stinks in the living room. No? Then he went in the kitchen. He thought, that's going to smell good. Got in the kitchen. Stinks in the kitchen. So he goes over to the slider door. He opens the slider, goes out on the deck, and he goes, the whole world stinks. Listen, when you have the spirit of faith, the whole world smells like victory. Everything just looks like victory to you. Because again, it's not the problem you face, but it's what's in your heart. When the 12 spies went through the promised land, they all saw the exact same thing in the natural. They saw the same cities. They saw the same giants. But some saw defeat and some saw victory. When you've got the spirit of faith, you will look at a problem that somebody else looks at it and they collapse. But you look at that problem and you're like, we're going through. We've got the victory. We're going to make it. Why? It's the spirit of faith. It's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, again, it's in the book of John where it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What overcomes the world? Even our faith. And, and I, I just want to remind you that what the enemy always tries to do is get you out of the arena of faith. Because the devil knows this, that if you get in faith and stay in faith, you will win. But when you get out of faith, if he can get you out of the arena of faith, you are out of the arena where you will have victory. He'll try to get you into the arena of your feelings. He'll try to get you into the arena of the circumstances. Have you looking at, at the cities and the giants and the enemies and the problems, 
right? He'll try to get you into the arena of your past and have you looking at the, the failures of your past or your natural qualifications. But we have the same spirit of faith as it is written. David said, I believe, therefore I spoke. This is what Paul says. We also believe. And we've got the identical, when it says same, it's the identical spirit of faith. And because we have the identical spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we, we speak. We speak. Right. That victory has to do with our applying or using our faith. I like to think about when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. There's the Egyptians were using the children of Israel as, as slaves. And God has sent Moses to deliver them. And there have been nine plagues that have come on the children of, uh, of Egypt. And the Israelites have been basically excluded from these, these plagues that have come. But God said, there's going to be one last plague. So here's what you do. Every family on the 10th day of the month, you take that lamb for your house and you bring that lamb into your house. And you keep the lamb till the 14th day of the month as the sun sets. God says, take the lamb outside your house and kill the lamb. And there was a very specific way that it had to be killed. The throat had to be slit and they had to catch the blood in a basin. Now, the New Testament tells us that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That lamb is a type of Jesus. It's a type of the innocent dying for the guilty. But then God told him, he said, now you take that blood. Now, here's here's what I want you to catch here. When the lamb died, everything that the lamb needed to do was done, right? The lamb didn't need to do anything else, but the people still did, right? And what the people had to do was take that blood in the basin. And the Bible says they had to get a piece of hyssop, a very, very common shrub in that part of the world. And they stood in front of their door and they would strike above the door with the blood. And then they would put it back in the blood and strike on the right side and on the left side with the blood. And God said, wherever I see the blood, he said, I will not allow the destroying angel to do any harm wherever the blood is. So once the sacrifice had been made, they needed to do something. They needed to apply the blood. Now in the old Testament, they applied the blood with a piece of hyssop, but today you apply the blood with the hyssop of your tongue. That's how the blood is applied. Let the redeemed of the Lord Say so. Revelation 12, verse 11. They, that's you, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. That's how you overcome. You apply the blood. You speak what the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. When Jesus was talking about faith, he, he talked about faith in several different places. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at the time that Jesus was most impressed with somebody's faith. And by the way, it took a lot to impress Jesus. And there, was, there, were, there were only a couple of occasions when he was impressed. But we're going to take a look next week. But Jesus is teaching on faith in Mark chapter 11. Right? Now, here's what has happened. Jesus is staying in Bethany. 
It's about three miles from Jerusalem. He gets up in the morning and he walks from Bethany to Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree. He goes over to find some fruit, but there's no fruit on it. And Jesus said, no one eat fruit of you again forever. They go into Jerusalem. Jesus goes to the temple. He preaches in the temple. Then they go back to Bethany. Right? Went right by the tree. Right? Spent the night in Bethany. Got up in the morning. And they're going back to Jerusalem again. And this time when they pass that tree, the disciples notice that the tree has withered from its roots. And they draw Jesus' attention to it. That tree that you cursed. Because Jesus said, no one ever eat fruit of you again forever. And they said, look, that tree that you cursed, it's withered up from the roots. Now, I think it's interesting that when Jesus said something, it didn't wither. They didn't go, ah, look, 30 seconds, it's dead. They didn't even notice that evening. It took until the next day. Now, did something happen when Jesus spoke to it? Yeah. But it wasn't immediately visible what had happened. So the disciples say to Jesus, look, and Jesus said to them, he said, have faith in God. In verse 23, King James says, for verily, new King James, assuredly. And once again, some of your translations say truly. And Jesus, you know this about Jesus. He always tells the truth. And when Jesus starts a statement and says, I'm going to tell you the truth, it means... I'm going to tell you the truth, but you won't believe it. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to tell you something true, but when you hear it, you won't believe it. And let me just say right now, most of us that are here tonight, we are going to hear Jesus and we're not going to believe him. All right. Here's what he said. He said, truly, verily, assuredly, I say to you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He will have whatsoever he saith. I think Jesus would would say to us tonight that if you knew what was on the other side of your mountain, you'd start talking to it. Because there is a blessing, there's a breakthrough, there's peace. All right. There is something on the other side of that mountain. Now, remember way back in the beginning, the way God created the world was God said, let there be light. And there was light. I believe what Smith Wigglesworth said is true that any man, any woman can be changed by faith, no matter how they may be bound. It doesn't matter. Now, here Jesus is talking about a mountain at a different place. He's talking about faith in Luke chapter 17. And he's giving basically the same lesson to the disciples, but he's talking about a sycamore tree. Or in some of your translations translated a mustard seed. All right. Now, he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say, I I like that King James, you might say. But here's another translation. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say, you would say, if you had faith, what would you do? You would say, right? You would say, rather mass translation. And the Lord said, 
if ye had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you should be saying, saying, saying. How many of you know you might need to say something more than once? You might need to say it quite a few times, right? Be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Again, Young Translation, if you had faith as a grain of mustard, you would have said, you would have said, if you've got faith, listen, Jesus said this, the first thing that your faith will ever move is your mouth. Jesus said, faith works for whosoever will say. It doesn't work if you just believe, but I believe that. That's great, but you need to have your mouth connected to your heart because the spirit of faith is believing and speaking, believing and saying, right? So the first thing that faith moves is your mouth. And if it doesn't move your mouth, it will never move a mountain, right? Because that is just a key, key component, all right? Now, it doesn't, so, you see, sometimes we get in the, in, in the mindset that it's just been so long. This problem is generational. This problem has been there for decades, right? But I want to remor- remind you that Jesus healed a man who was born blind, a man who was crippled for 38 years, a woman in the synagogue who'd been bound by a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Now, your faith will not prevent problems, right? But your faith will move the problem. It will move the mountain, right? You cannot say, well, I just have faith and I'm never going to have any problems because you will. You will. It says, Jesus said that it would obey you. It would obey you. Let me just say this. Most people are spiritually lazy. They want somebody else to do all the work for them. People come up quite often and and, and say, you know, we want you to pray for me. And I say, well, you do something. Almost always the answer is the same. This is what they say. If it's easy. If it's easy, right? we, don't want, we don't want to do anything. Right? But Jesus said that your mountain would obey who? You. Obey you. Somebody said, well, I just want, I just want you to talk to it. You're a pastor. We pay, your t- we, we, we pay your salary. I give my tithes. Why don't you be talking to that mountain? Talk to my mountain, pastor. Talk to it. Well, you may just as well say... I need to lose 30 pounds, so pastor, go to the gym and work out. How many know it's not going to work for you? See, your mountain needs to hear your voice. It needs to hear your voice. Right? Jesus, Jesus said it that way. He said, it would obey who? Not your pastor, not Joyce Myers. It would obey you. Now, because we're here in West Michigan, I think I should mention this because a lot of people really believe in their heart. That's what they believe. They said, well, God sent me a mountain. God sent me this mountain to teach me. God sent me this mountain to keep me humble. 
You know, God just sent, sent, sent me mountains so, so my, 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 my life will be more burdensome and, and I'll seek him. And God just wants this mountain in my life because everything that happens to me, it's all what God wants to happen to me. Right? And let me just say this, that your theology stinks. <laughs> right? Because that is not what Jesus believed. That is not what Jesus believed. Look, if God wanted you to have the mountain, Jesus would not have told you how to get rid of it. Is that not true? Jesus said, this will work for you. He said, this will work for whosoever will say. And say with your mouth and believe in your heart and not doubt. He said, this will work for you. So Jesus tells you how to get rid of the mountain. And if God wanted you to have it, Jesus would not be telling us how to get rid of it. And notice that Jesus tells us to talk to our mountain where most people, what they want to do is they want to talk about it. They want to tell you how big it is, how bad it is, how long they've had it. You know, how the rest of their relatives have it, how some of their friends have it. They, They want to talk about that mountain. But no, Jesus said, you talk to the mountain. Now, in fact, Jesus said this. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, listen, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to listen. God's word was first spoken. And then it was written. And we, we now in the 21st century, we tend to carry around in some form, maybe in your tablet, your phone, or maybe you've got a Bible, but we tend to carry the Bible around in its written form. And that's good, and that's fine. But the Bible is primarily to be a spoken thing. When the devil came to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He said again and again, he said, it is is written. It is written. It is written. And he literally fought a spiritual battle by speaking the word again and again. The devil said, and Jesus said, the devil said, and Jesus said, the devil said, and Jesus said, and every time Jesus said the same thing, it is written. All right. He used that word and it came out of his mouth. And and literally, it is a rhema word. It's a spoken word. It's a word God reveals to you that you speak that is the sword of the Spirit. Your whole Bible isn't the sword of the Spirit, but it's the word that is in your heart that you speak with your mouth that is the sword of the Spirit. And we are to wage a spiritual battle, literally, with the word of God. That's what Jesus did. Literally, that's the same thing that David did. The giant said... You know, come here, kid, I'm going to kill you. And then David said, right? And when David was finished saying something, he literally ran at that giant. I like to say it this way. Never let the devil have the last word. Right? David whirled that stone, hit the giant in the head. He fell down. Jesus, Jesus. David cut his head off and the giant didn't say anything else. 
But it was a spiritual battle and it took place with words. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whose armies you have defiled. And today I will kill you and take your head from you. He told him what was going to happen. Right? After the giant said, you come here, I'm going to kill you. Now, David spoke it. Right? And, and literally, you fight a spiritual battle with faith in your heart and words from your mouth. Now, somebody said, I just, I don't, I just, I just, if I, get, I just don't have the strength to do that. That's why Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. It seems to me like the Bible's constantly trying to teach us how to talk. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. David said in Psalms 91, he said, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom will I trust? Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 59, listen to this. This is God speaking. He says, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you and my words, which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Isaiah 57 verse 19, God said, I create the fruit of the lips. In Hebrews 13, 6, God says, therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Romans 8, what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Revelation. 12, 11. They, you overcome him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Get this one, Job 22. And I'm going to have to close with this. Job 22 and 28. You will also declare or decree a thing. It'll be established for you. And so light, so light shall shine on your way. And when they cast you down, have we ever felt cast down? And you say, What are we supposed to do when trouble comes? And you, you say, exaltation will come. Then he, God, will save the humble person. Who's the humble person? The person that agrees with God. He will even deliver the one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. Because of what you said. When trouble comes, what do you do? You need to say We have the same spirit of faith according to what's written. I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. But what does 
faith say? Faith is always talking. It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. What does faith say? The word is near you. The word of victory. And you can literally look in the Old Testament where it's quoted from. And this is what it says. It says the word, the victory that you need, the breakthrough that you need, it's not on the other side of the mountain. And it's not on the other side of the sea. But it's near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. That spirit of faith. We believe that God is who God said that he is. That he did what he said he would do. That he, but he, that he did what he said he has done. That he will do for you what he promises in his word to do for you. And that he loves you. That that promise is not for somebody else. But that promise is for you. You have. You have the same spirit of faith. And there is a miracle in your mouth and your heart. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616 534 4923.